Hello, you are very welcome to the Insider Schools podcast, the podcast where we put all the issues around teaching in Irish schools under the microscope. I'm your host, Andrew Phelan. In this, the second episode of season two, we go inside our schools and we shine a torch on the vital area of special education classes. Joining me for a chat tonight is Graham Manning, who is a secondary school autism class coordinator. Those on Twitter would be quite familiar with Graham and his absolute Trojan work on behalf of autistic children and their parents, of course, and the promotion of autism classes within secondary schools. Over the course of the next hour or so, Graham takes me through some of the extraordinary work done and the supports that are given to autistic children in autism classes in secondary schools in Ireland. He delves into the chronic underfunding and the frustrating lack of provision of such classes around the country. And we also discuss or take a look at other models of special education delivery, such as the New Brunswick model. And closer to home, we discuss the proposed or the possible proposed model, the National Council for Special Education was floating here in Ireland more recently. Graham, thanks for coming along. It's great to eventually get you on. I know we've been tuning no phone over Twitter. Um, and again, you contacted me and said, look, can I come on the podcast? Uh, I have a few things I want to say about um, special ed in Ireland and so on. And it's great to, to eventually get you on. And that's just a message to everybody else who's on in Twitter planet or social media. Or if you just contact the podcast uh, on any issue, we, we can make it happen. Um, so it's great to have you on, Graham. So oh, Graham, for the, for, as I said in the intro already, Graham is a teacher of special classes uh, in, in schools, in secondary school. For me, as a teacher, uh, I, I've heard him called ASD units and all sorts of other language around it. But I think this, the, the, the correct, or not the correct, as you're going to argue in a second, I would imagine the, 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 the terminology that's used by the department is, is special classes. So can you just give other teachers, I'm sure, who are like me, who don't really know what it is, or parents or whoever's listened to this, can, can you just give us a quick flavour of, of what it is? What is uh, special classes that the department call them in, in schools? Sure, no worries. Um, in relation to special classes, you're right. Um, that is the departmental terminology. Um, I wouldn't use it myself. Um, generally speaking, because there's, there can be negative connotations attached to the word special. Uh, that's a fact at this point. Um, I would, it's the same as uh, in special educational needs. I'd use additional educational needs. Um, in terms of the classes I teach, all the students I teach are autistic. So uh, when I reference them, I say I, wor- I uh, work, well, I work, school but um i run three autism classes um again even on that i'll say autism as opposed to asd um you find uh, basically i try and base the language i use of what the majority of the community i'm teaching use and what they prefer and it is the majority it isn't unanimous it's not that everybody prefers the exact same language but i figure you go with the, what the majority prefer yeah. and that may change over time and it isn't something that, as so, a neurotypical person who's not autistic, it's not something I should be deciding, or that any neurotypical person should be deciding. It should be, the, you know, it's the phrase, nothing about us without us. Um, yes. So in relation, I'll say autism, not ASD, because ASD stands for Autistic Spectrum Disorder. I don't know too many people who would like the way they are and themselves being referred to as disordered. Um, I would say autistic and not with autism. Um 
where again where i'm speaking in the abstract like i am now if i know when i'm speaking to a person when i'm speaking to a person i'm generally using their name so it isn't really a conversation that comes up but especially some of my senior cycle students these are conversations i'd have with them um just so i know their preference um the majority would prefer autistic as opposed to with autism and that would be reflected in most studies that around 70 80 percent of the community would prefer that as well generally along the lines of um if you're saying someone is with something it's usually medical disease and negative mm-hmm. so are if you're saying someone has something so someone has cancer and um, obviously autism is not a disease it is not a negative it is a difference mm-hmm. um so terminology wise that's again a good one there are lots of other things again the term unit um is common parlance and should never be used again it, the kind of clinical connotations of it um that it is something other from the school and separate and kind of it brings mm-hmm. to mind at least for myself kind of locked doors and it definitely doesn't bring to mind inclusion um there is an awful lot of things around autism in relation to terminology um that really i don't think the vast majority of people no i've yet to meet someone who's well very 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 rarely met someone who's saying it with any malice it's yeah they don't, and, and mostly things i would have said myself at some point and there's probably terminology i'm using now then in a few years time i go god what was i saying i should have been saying something else but you'll hear things like um oh everyone's on the spectrum somewhere no we're bloody not and if there's a if a diagnostic criteria for uh, autism if you don't meet them you're not autistic you may have loads of uh, there's loads of other acronyms and loads of uh, other conditions that are possibly have but it's not autism it's thing where you hear uh, people say things like high and low functioning. Mm-hmm. Um, apart from being not measurable, not diagnostic terms, they're also pretty insulting. Um, as in, because they're quite subjective. High and low functioning in relation to what? Mm-hmm. Um, like when you talk about something like an intellectual disability, it's a measurable thing. Now, there's a tangent on that and a caveat on that in relation to they can be quite blunt instruments. And so that's why you get things like disparate IQs, though, talking about different areas, because people's ability in one area may be far exceed another. So, and that in itself, and environmental factors, another thing can play into how a student may be tested at that particular day. But um, that, that at least is in some way measurable, as long as you're aware of the caveats and it's not to be taken as cast iron and that kind of thing. Whereas, um, again, high and low functioning is, it's not something to be measured. Um, and then you hear things that people saying, you know, someone suffers with autism. I'm like, no, don't say that. But yeah. <laughs> it comes to kind of special classes, just facts about them. Um, and I will say special classes because that is the common parents and parents, that is what the, the departments say. Um, basically, every um, vast majority of special classes in Ireland um, are for autistic students. Now, there are other ones for my general learning disability, moderate, for um, deaf students, um, but the vast majority, I, 90% plus, uh, are for, for autistic students. Um, every special class has six kids in it. Um, now, that's if it's full. And the vast majority, if it's not, if they're not full, they fill up very, very quickly. Mm. Um, and in terms of resourcing, at secondary at least, it's slightly different at primary, but at secondary, for every six, uh, special class and six students, you get 1.5 teachers and two SNAs. Um, if there's any management listening, the 1.5 teachers can't be used for anything else. It can't be, I don't know, that's saying the vast majority of principal would not do this. Some do. That's just a fact. Oh, I, I, I've, I've absolutely heard stories at, at various meetings, at the horror stories about yeah. how the hours are used and all the rest of it. Um, the Minister yeah. for Education herself cannot divert those hours, don't have the authority. And mm-hmm. the SNA hours, which would be the two SNAs for every special class, 
are allocated to the school because of the special class. Unfortunately, uh, that does fall within the remit of management to reallocate those. I feel, look, I don't agree that it should, but if I'm going to point out one thing, it's a bit dishonest not to point out the other. Yeah. Um, like I said, there's significant funding um, for your first uh, special, uh, special artism class that's set up. Uh, you're talking 21,000 euro in grants. Uh, for every subsequent one, it's 14,000. Uh, you get no year-on-year funding. The same special uh, autism class in primary gets over 4,000 a year in funding. No, I'm not saying they shouldn't. They absolutely should. Yeah. So should the secondary one. It's interesting, though, the first time I found this out, I found a department document that uh, said that both the classes got the same funding. And I got all excited about, oh, God, we've, maybe we never claimed this or anything like that. Rang on the department. They denied the document existed. Uh, it disappeared off the website within a couple of hours. It reappeared the following week with the offending section edited into primary and secondary funding saying secondary didn't get it. Had a meeting with the head of special education in the department. Again, with the, that document never existed. And then as I sat across the table, I said, Ads, do you think I didn't copy the first one? Yeah. Here's the first one. Here's the second one. Do we change our mind? Like, oh yeah, in December of 2018, that funding will be equalized. Well, it's uh, September 2021 and did a lot of happened. Yeah, that is incredible. But I, I well believe it. I've seen so many, again, in other areas of education, things like that happen. But it's it, it's very interesting some, the way you spoke at the beginning there about the terminology and stuff. Yeah. Like, for example, I, um, I was telling you off air that, that my sister has uh, Creed syndrome. And there I go. I said, has Creed syndrome as if it's, you know, an illness, but where it probably should say is Creedisha syndrome or, or, but I also said to you, she goes to a special school. And again, it's, it's using that terminology, even though it's my own sister, it's, it just shows how innocently that it can happen. And, may, and maybe we need to think about uh, what we say a little bit more um, around that. But the rooms that you're, you're talking about, um, you, you kind of gave a flavor then of some of the lack of funding and some of that you, you believe I gave Twitter that there isn't enough of them, but just That's again, not a belief. it's a statistical oh, fact. Yeah, well, absolutely. But can you just give uh, the difference you see these special classes or though, as you say, autistic classes, uh, yeah. which I agree with actually from listening to you now, it, can you give us a, a flavor of the difference they make? Uh, in a student's life with, with autism sure. or an autistic child's yeah. life? Uh, no problem. Um, I will say in relation to the um, the terminology of um, autistic and with autism or has autism, hmm. um, it is like the majority of the community, 80%, 70-80% prefer autistic. That doesn't mean, obviously, that's still 20 or 30. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, if you're meeting the individual person and somehow the way you're phrasing things comes around to that, um, hmm. then obviously you use whatever the person yeah. prefers. Yeah. But that I'm aware of, and I'll open the correction on it, um, autism is the only um, situation in which that order of language is preferred. Um, okay. vast majority, in, anything else tends to be the other way around. That, I'm, okay. again, I'm aware of. Um, as for the difference that I can make, um, of the vast, I'll say, I've been uh, working in our autism classes since 2008. I haven't taught a mainstream class since 2007, which is a very long time ago. Um, of the students that have graduated through our school thus far, I can count, uh, from our special classes, I can count on this hand the amount who would have had any, and probably out of a few fingers to spare, who in my professional opinion, obviously I can't have predicted this because this isn't what actually happened, but if the support of the special uh, aut autistic classes, our autism classes weren't there, they wouldn't have completed education. 
and I'm talking to students who went right the way through the sixth year. Uh, may or may not have done their leaving cert. That's a separate conversation, depending on what, what's in the best interest of the child. Uh, but completed their secondary education and completed so happily, or at least as happily as you're a teenager inside secondary school is going to be on any given day. Um, and then when you think of that, and you start to, you know, obviously look, secondary education is a very important part of someone's life, but the rest of their life is more important and it is far longer. Um, what it prepares most people, not everybody, but most people for success in later life is their education in early life. Uh, that's one of the foundational building blocks of that. So if you go through, let's say, um, employment statistics for autistic people, they're significantly below uh, neurotypical community. Um, when you go just general independence and life skills, even those who do have jobs, the um, income level, all those kinds of things. Now, they are slowly, incrementally improving, but they are significantly behind where they should be. And obviously, that is very much not the fault of the individuals themselves. That's the problem, the lack of support. They're like the amount of students, um, I had a number of students uh, got their leaving cert results um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, all got what they wanted, all moving on to third level. Of uh, th it's actually four students. Okay? Yeah, I think I'm allowed to say the number. Uh, four students. Of those four students, in my professional opinion, one may have got to leaving cert and would have not achieved to their ability. In my professional opinion, there is zero hope that the other students would have. Not it only got to the, uh, sixth year, but not done their leaving cert and not got the points, not gone off to third level as they are doing. Now, that's no big, oh, God, you know, yeah, is me kind of thing. Uh, myself and my colleagues are there, and school as a whole, because again, we're obviously just part, part of the school, are there to provide the support. It's the students who did all of this. But without the support they need, um, they would have, if say, in one of the cases in my professional room would have massively underachieved relative to their ability. I would be very, very surprised if the other three had gotten sixth year at all, or probably much past first or second year, to be honest. Yeah, and then of course, and it's not only about the leaving cert and the results, it's about if they didn't get to the leaving cert, didn't get to that stage, then of course there's the, the, the whole feeling of failure and, and, and all the rest of it that comes along with that. And then and it's, it's they're the on the wrong path. You know? It's the lack of friendships, it's the lack of community, it's yes. the feelings of self-worth and achievement. Um, it's one of the first things I say to the uh, prospective parents when they come into our school and the parents of the students who do get the places is um, I don't care about the living cert. I don't care about the junior cert. Yeah. I don't care about class tests. I care about whatever's in the best education and interest of your child. And mm. um, in respect of those things, through the six years that they're with us, and uh, myself and my colleagues will make recommendations um, all decisions in relation to what subjects and exams we do or don't do, um, or whether we drop subjects or whether we don't, are parental. We make we, we don't decide that. We make professional recommendations, and it's rare for parents to disagree with it, but sometimes they do. And sometimes they disagree with us and they're right. Sometimes they disagree with us and later they decide actually maybe you had a point there. Um, mm. Again, it's all made with from both sides with the best interest of the child at heart. But the main thing... Uh, for a lot of uh, students that I work with, now again, very clear, not all, um, but for a lot of the students I work with, the most likely um, source of genuine friendships and genuine relationships um, is their peers within the um, autism class. To be very, very clear, that is not everybody, but if statistically, if I, if I actually did the math, not even math, that kind of thing, but um, it would be significantly more on one side than the other of genuine friendship. And now that said, students in our school are 
whole school are brilliant all collectively to each other. Again, school full of teenagers. Um, issues happen on occasion, but generally, it, I couldn't. I've never set foot in a more welcoming, open school collectively for everybody. But for those students, um, if that structure as, uh, as our, that our classes provide didn't exist, the chances of those relationships are. I won't say are gone, but they're diminished dramatically. And I don't know about yourself, but if you think back to secondary school, um, my friendships have stuck with me a lot more than maybe what I think I learned. Um, now that's probably, maybe I wasn't the most diligent of students, but I, if I, I literally I can look out my window here and I can see my best friend from when I was six. Uh, I can see the back of this house. And we went through school together. And um, most of the friends that I'm close with now are from school. Yeah, there's no, there's no doubt. Most of the friends are either I had are either through sport when I was a teenager, or through school, and 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 that's it. And they're your closest friends for life. Then, and if that's ripped out of you after second year or third year or whatever, because there's no support, then you know it's very hard to battle back. I suppose from that in, in life. So, and I could see it even a lot of the similarities to what you're saying. We have a resource room in our school where students with additional needs would be able to go and you know they can chill out and they can and they can have their friends and they can they can talk to each other and the supports there for them some SNAs and, and stuff there for them. But you can see the tight bond that they have as a group, you know, and there's no doubt that these classes, I suppose, uh, uh, are needed. Uh, and it's that that kind of support is needed, you know. And yeah. Yeah, like the lack of like the, the lack of classes is just a statistical fact. Yeah. Um, like the NCSE um, every year re- release a list of all the um, special classes of, e- of any kind in the country um, and identify which ones are new ones and which ones aren't. Um, they never release a breakdown of those stats, ever. I've asked them repeatedly about it. Mm. They won't reply as to why <laughs> they don't. So I've done it myself and literally have gone through their website and counted each individual one. So I may be one or two off on occasion because my eyes just get blurry going through all those names. But I haven't updated for the 2021-2022 academic year. But as it stands from the previous academic year, for every one um, autism class in secondary schools, there were 2.67 in primary. So that averages out to about, for every six students or six places in those secondary um autism classes about 15 to 16 students looking for those places and then now people will say i mean, in fairness some of those students will move on to special schools or will move on to mainstream and not need the support of, um mm. special class in secondary but those stats take into no account the students who don't need the support uh, are asked or else couldn't access the support of a special class in primary but needed at secondary and in terms of applications that i've seen over the last 13 14 years 70, 80% of the students applying to ourselves are not coming from special classes or special schools. They're coming from mainstream primary. So that 15, 16, looking for six places, it, that's up in the 20s. Yeah, that's, yeah, that is quite shocking. Uh, and I mean, every child has, every child has a right uh, to education and to, and to the education that suits them, you know, yeah, that they the need. appropriate education. So yes, that, yes, exactly. So the appropriate yeah. education, everyone ha- has the right to that. Yeah. And um, the, minister, the minister can solve it in the morning. Um, literally could solve it in the morning. Um, under there was the Schools Admissions Act 2018, Section 37A of that. Um, still, it, to be very clear, I can't randomly quote legislation. I only know that particular one uh, <laughs> because I had something of a hand in. Well, actually, I had a significant hand in it becoming a thing, and had a deg- degree of a hand in it being written. Um, but it gives the Minister for Education the authority to compel schools to set up 
special classes where there's a need. Now, there is a need. There's no question about it. In the three um, years that it's existed, in the first year, it was used in uh, Leo Bradford's constituency in Olean primary schools. I'm sure that had nothing to do with an impending election. Um, That's sorry. my constituency. It, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll remain, to be very clear, I'm not for a second saying those um, classes in primary were not necessary. But then the following year, it was used only in South Dublin. Uh, and again, only at primary. And again, not for a second questioning those classes. I know for a fact they're very much needed. But yeah. though, all those classes they, they were granting is not the department realizing this or the NCSE. That is parental pressure and per parents putting in a massive amount of effort and fighting for this. Mm. Which you shouldn't have to do. You have exactly. enough You have enough worries yourself between home life, between work life, life between trying to manage the student at home. Uh, yeah. You know. And then it comes down to it. I'm not sure what, what has happened this year, but so um, I'm sure within the uh, stats in relation to who they've uh, sent le letters to compelling them will come out. Actually, it's usually kind of around October that uh, find out about that stuff. Um, but in the three years that uh, Joe McHugh in the previous two years, Norma Foley this year, have had the authority to fix this. Not just, to, oh, God, we can improve it, just fix it. No one has denied uh, the, the right to an appropriate education. In the three years they've had it, Every single class they've set in has been primary. Sorry, but secondary exists. And as I just articulated, most of the classes in need are primary. There is a greater need at secondary because there are uh, less places available. Um, and so it's all been primary and it's all been South Dublin. Secondary exists and so does the rest of Dublin and the rest of the bloody country. And there's one thing, a massive outlier in all of this is that no fee-paying school is allowed to establish a special class of any description even though that's not written anywhere. That is Minister Foley, and her, Minister Foley and her department and her, pre, and her predecessors, in fairness, it isn't just her, but she is continuing policy of refusing students to, uh, basically refusing students who need the support of a special class to go to a fee-paying school. Now, that's just straight discrimination. You say autistic families can't afford, or sorry, families of autistic students can't afford fees. Why not? Um, they can. It's not a respective economic uh, situation. But beyond that, I know of a fee-paying school that wanted to set up very much, you know, in fairness to them, were very proactive. And it was like, no, no, we want to provide the support to our students. Um, they went ahead and said, we will waive all fees in perpetuity for any student who's enrolled in this class. No one will ever have to pay any fees. And they're thinking that that was the impediment. Um, and they were granted the class. The department then came back to them saying, oh, we didn't realize you were a fee paying school. And this is, would be in May of an academic year. We're withdrawing the class. So those six students were abandoned. And as was the school, which was you know, making efforts to get everything set up and ready in May of an academic year. And the minister of question on this, said it's a thing, but I'm you know, like, why? I would love to hear from anyone the justification is why this should happen. And to be honest, we won't. There is a reason it's not written down. Because if it got written down, it would be torn apart. Sorry, but if it's not a if it's not written down, then it's not policy. It's just minister and department decided to discriminate. So it's, it's at their discretion. And Graham, yeah. that kind of touches on another thing I wanted to ask you. Um, it was about, you know, that we, we, we you know, that every child should have the right to these uh, special classes or autistic classes if they, if they want. Um, but, you know, is it then a case that you can have one 
And given what you just said there now, you can have one. Um, they said they didn't want them to have them fee paying schools because then, you know, they'd have to pay for their education or whatever. But yeah. so is it right in saying that you can have one, but as long as you live in a particular geographic area? Because to me, it seems like if you live, if you, uh, if you are an autistic child and you want to go to a school with an autistic class in it who can cater for your needs better, um, but that school is, there's none in any school in your whole area, you know, your 50, 60, 70 kilometer journey, or if there's none, you just can't access one. Um, yeah, that is an unfortunate fact. Like, um, for example, that I'm just because I'm aware of different campaigners working on it and they're doing absolutely Trojan work, but there are certain areas in South Dublin that all the schools are free paying. So if you need the support, you can't go to any of your local schools and you have to uh, bus or taxi past God knows how many schools and keep going. And hopefully you get someone significantly out of your local area. But then that runs into another roadblock because most enrollment policies, and I have a hand in writing um, a few in my time. Um, catchment area. Catchment area is one, number yeah. one is usually probably siblings. Um, yeah. Then you're talking catchment area. Then you're talking feeder schools. Mm. But if you're not from the local area, the odds of your sibling mm. haven't gone there pretty small. The odds of your parents haven't gone there pretty small. The odds of you, well, you're not from the catchment area. Mm. And the odds of you be attending one of the feeder schools, which would probably be in the catchment area, are very, very small. Yes. So the odds of getting a place in the class are just diminished drastically. I, we've had, I've had a situation myself where students from our local area apply and didn't get a, didn't get a place because there would be, let's say, more, more applicants than places we had available that year. Um, and then we'd have years where, let's say, there would be less who would be taking those boxes we just mentioned. And beyond that, a usual determiner for most policies that I've read would be either a lottery, which I am not in favor of in any circumstance ever. And there should be a rationale, not just random luck, should decide places. And you should be able to stand over that rationale. Um, but it's usually geographical distance from the school. So I've had conversations with parents and these were not kind of, oh, you know, throw away comments. I have parents who wanted to move. They were going to move so they could get a, they could get a place. And of I course you do. Any, you do anything for your child. I don't understand. I have two kids asleep, <laughs> two bedrooms over. Like, yeah, I don't understand. I do the same thing. But I mean, it is absolutely obscene that they have, have to, to go to consider that, that kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah, and of course, different, different tra travel. Like, I, I've had students travel 50 kilometers or more a day to come to, to come and be. Um, yeah, I was just going to ask you that. Do you know anybody who's traveling big distances to yeah, any of these classes? Uh, both historically and currently. I absolutely do. Yeah. Uh, no, very clear. Any students, it's my privilege to teach them. Um, and in no way does it mean oh, I didn't want to or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. If you, number one, just the distance. If you're talking 50 kilometers a day, and let's say I'd be talking most of my students be in a taxi, there's four students in the taxi. So if you're the furthest person away, one hour of the morning, you got to get up and get in that taxi. And then you have to, you're sitting in it while you collect three other students, get to school. Then at the end of a very long school day, you're sitting in the same taxi and all those three students are going to be dropped off before you because you're the furthest person away. So it could be a situation, you're getting in a taxi at seven, quarter past seven in the morning and you're not getting back out of it at the afternoon. So quarter to five, five o'clock. And um, aside from bringing in different sensory issues and other reasons why that might be more difficult for an autistic student, for anybody, that's difficult. And then you factor in the fact that that student's primary school, because there are more places, was most likely in their local area. So all the friendships developed through eight years of primary school. And once they're gone, 
but when you're not in the same secondary school, they are more significantly more difficult to maintain. Yeah. And then you're, we're touching on how important relationships and stuff were a while ago. And then you're in secondary school and you make hopefully friends and uh, relationships there. But when you finish secondary school, most of the people in that school are from the local area that you don't live in. So maintaining those friendships is going to be exponentially more difficult. And as I, so those are very much the priorities. But aside from any of that, even if I was but you know, it's even it's even the fatigue for me just thinking about that. I, I'm actually getting angry here. <laughs> I don't have I don't I have a child like that. I don't have a child uh, who's autistic and I'm getting frustrated just listening to you have this because we give out about this, uh, uh, I suppose, as adults, about the fact that nowadays with house prices gone so much, you have to travel. You have to get up so early and travel all the way to work and travel all yeah. the way home. And it totally impacts your standard of living and, and your, no, well, it's not standard of living, your quality of life and what you can do. So you put that into a child going to secondary school level who has to get up that early and a child with additional needs or whatever the additional need may be having to sit there for an hour before and you get home at five o'clock, half five, six o'clock in the evening, the chance to go outside, as you said, to meet their friends, especially uh, coming into winter is gone because it's dark. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're, they're so tired then that they really want to be involved in clubs outside of school or whatever. It just, it has a massive, massive social impact. And yeah, it's, it's just really frustrating. Listen, listen, you tell that story, you know. It's, and especially because pretty much everything I've said thus far, uh, and there's a, we won't cut, touch on everything. There's an, an awful long list. I've shared a list of 38 things wrong with a, a, um, the provision of autism class in secondary school in Ireland with every politician in the past three governments. And uh, some have responded, some have not. With the NCC, with the department, with everyone you could possibly share it. I can get very, very annoying on this stuff. That document I shared isn't just a giving out. It, there's a solution to 37 of them. There's one I can't fix, um, or I can't explain. Now, I'm open to experts telling me how there was better solutions, obviously. Yes. Um, but of those 37 solutions, 26 of them don't cost a cent. Oh, wow. Because I, I, was, I was going to ask you, like, what's your why? What's your, what's your belief as to the why that they don't provide uh, the classes? Um, well, I would say 26. That, that does leave kind of, yeah, 10 or 11 that do cost. Um, yeah. So, to be honest... Um, Brian, look, I'm not going to do money. Um, yeah. It comes down to most things because, again, the provision that's there, there's currently, um, I also find the um, politicians and ministers and stuff in the department throughout the stack that kind of um, one in five euro of the education budget is spent on additional educational needs. Um, yeah, one in five kids has additional educational needs. So that you should be some, you should be spending that much yeah, money. That isn't some great it's not a badge of honor. You should be uh, you should be yeah. spending that kind of money. Yeah, like, I mean, we're talking as a country. We are a, a GDP percentage invested in education is the lowest in the OECD. Uh, this is not something they should be blowing a trumpet about. Yeah, um, we have a very much as again, and I think I find myself an awful lot giving out. But we have a very, very good education system more broadly. There is umpteen oh, not to say there's not. We have a very good, but we have a very, very good education system with massive underinvestment. If we just invested the average of the OECD, whatever that percentage is, yeah. just the average. It was only out I, last week, I, wasn't I it, on the excel. news? Yeah. yeah. So underinvestment and we massively overachieve. If we got the average, imagine what we could do. God forbid if we actually aim to be better than average. Yes. Yeah, well, yeah it, that was only I think it was only last week in the papers. 
yeah to be, to be, my head is to be honest it was with covid and with school and everything i was kind of just glancing about we're we're way way down we're probably the lowest in the oecd in terms yeah, of literally, literally last on what we spend in education that's come up in the past in the podcast as well and um, but you know so i kind of want to go into a different area well not a different area it's the same thing and part in my head listening to the conversation part of the reason of course is funding because we don't spend money uh, on education in ireland but also is it i think is it because they they were trying to change or they are still trying to change the educational model i suppose in ireland now it's not quite new brunswick um for people who know what that is it's not quite new brunswick but it's pretty close it's an inclusive model now i'm saying inclusive and people are probably going to listen to this and go well you know what you just want everybody to be in asylums, yeah. you know, and this kind of malarkey. Yeah. Look, just the stop. Yeah. And they're right. Yeah. But you know, that's not what I'm saying. You know, I'm saying of course inclusive, of course, the social value and all the things we just literally spoke about for the last half an hour uh, are, are vital uh, in uh, for children with additional needs in, in our schools. Uh, and there's nobody saying otherwise. And I was sitting at the union meeting, the executive meeting that time uh, when when the unions made a decision to say, look not to fill in the the, the um, these individual education plans and so on and we get we can talk about that in a second but uh, first it wasn't from the behalf that we don't believe in inclusion of course we do uh, it's just uh, I would believe my belief is the way to do it is the way that you do it is the way that you have this the special classes that you have within the mainstream school so their their full needs are catered for not what they seem to be trying to do uh, is just taking a few, uh, throwing hours at schools, first of all. So they say they're spending money, but they're just throwing these hours at schools. And then it's, then those students then are thrown at individual teachers or teachers within the school who have no training uh, and really in a full class of students, uh, which are getting bigger and are one of the biggest class sizes in Europe. Uh, in the smallest rooms. And in the smallest rooms try how is that fair and one and i'm not talking even from i'm not even talking from a teacher's perspective as i said to you already like i i, I grew up with a child uh, with severe additional needs so i i've lived that life i know the, the frustrations of trying to get places and trying to to get funding for your child i understand all of that but surely the answer is not an autistic child coming into my class and me not having a clue about teaching them or, or anything. Uh, and that seems to be the model that they're trying to do. And it's the only way I can say is it's it's probably saving money. And then they throw the hours at the school. They give the funding and throw the hours at the school. And then it becomes up to the school then. It's this whole advance in school autonomy that they're they're throwing out there at the moment with schools. And it Which comes up to the school. Their own responsibility. Yeah, that it's it's literally like it's like creating the HSE. They just wash their hands of health. There you go. It's it's the HSE's yeah. it's the HSE's fault. Whereas if they advocate responsibility to individual schools, oh sorry, it's the school's fault. It's got don't be looking at me, you know. Uh, um, so I, I just kind of kind of wanted to ask your opinion about you know the New Brunswick model, about what way you see what they're trying to do uh, at the moment uh, in terms of sure. special ed. Uh, well, as we discussed, uh, I'm not a fan of New Brunswick in any shape or form. Yeah. Uh, now, to be very, very clear, as you said yourself, I couldn't be, I don't think, well, you know, I suppose you can always improve, but I like to think I'm about as strong a proponent of inclusive education as you're going to find. Yes. And New Brunswick isn't bad because yeah. inclusive education needs to be meaningful. Mm -hmm. um, it's not tokenistic. New Brunswick is talking about, the, and to be related, the NCSE 
said and again correction on this if anyone knows better about it than me this is my own experience of it but i could be incorrect but i'm thinking broadly pretty spot on and mm. um, two people from the ncse went to canada where um, new brunswick is obviously a uh, province in canada and uh, where they had uh, piloted this um scheme of full inclusion mm. no special classes no special schools everyone is inside the classroom um, now a few things they have infinitely more sna support than we do in Ireland. Uh, they don't call that they might come teacher assistance or some variation of amounts to the same thing so far more support they have far smaller classes way smaller uh, lower to uh, pupil teacher ratio they have far greater additional supports in terms of psychology speech and language therapy occupational therapy these are all again people can literally you can google this stuff this is not me making it up these are statistical facts disproportionately ahead of our education system by a country mile in all of the all the metrics that would matter to make this kind of system work and, and still i think work. the point is and it's still, still not working. working and it still isn't still working. working yeah, yeah it's yeah. not working in their education system mm. which is infinitely more resourced than ours but somehow the, uh, the ncse wanted to recommend to the uh, um department and ministers that we adopt that system with massively less resources and somehow and a completely different because things like in canada you are new brunswick i'm not sure if it's a whole canada thing but it's definitely new brunswick yeah that you can't choose what school you go to you go to your local school so it is predictable who is going where what numbers are going where and what resources you're going to need to support them and again it's still not working we don't have that system we are it wasn't suggested that we had anything i just listed to make mm. the equivalent that still didn't work and um, i mean that system is up and i think it's running something like nine years there is yet to be a study showing that it's working there's plenty mm. of both anecdotal and evidence from experts who would know better than me saying that it doesn't work yeah and um, so even within the ncse and again i'll be a caveat on this one this is a uh, anecdotal that i've been told i'm not going to say it's fact but it is something i've been told so i'm going to repeat it and um, that there have been significant uh, changes in personnel uh, senior within the ncse and what i was told is that some of that wasn't due to opposition to this yeah the ncse was meant to release a report in june of 2020 and it never happened they, they released a draft report making it very very clear they were going to propose this model and the report never turned up in june then it was meant to be released in january of this year it never happened yeah. and then and covid does not explain why this didn't happen the visit had been done the data had supposedly been collected the draft report had been done we were just waiting for the, the final report um they're just aware of the absolute i won't say unanimous but very very broad very very deep opposition to this from all stakeholders so we're not talking just teachers having an yeah. issue parents having an issue with this mm -hmm. students having an issue with this but discuss this uh, with uh, some uh, senior psych i think one senior cycle cohort who brought this up and asked me my opinion now yeah. i caveat in it this is my opinion i'm not saying i know everything about it all but mm -hmm. if students ask me a question they get an answer um and now all of a sudden they're just not going to release the report until it dies down and they redraft oh, see this is else, this, this and they this. release it down the road this is my concern, you see, because you no know, more than it reminds me of the way education policy is done here. You know, they they kind of throw out, I suppose they throw jaws into they throw jaws into the water to create all this havoc, right? Um, and then they tend, like for example, the junior cycle, um, Rory Quinn through the junior cycle, what they what their plans were out there, and it was uproar and it was upheaval and it was 
So then they kind of reversed a little bit and came back down from, it wasn't totally classroom-based assessment and they, we got back into maintaining some of the state exams or whatever. Um, but, but you can see the writing on the wall is, you know, there's every year now, you know, with the junior cycle, they're advancing, they're advancing. They're just going to crawl back up to the original plan in the first place. And now I remember as well, it's funny, and talking about the, the NCSE, um, I was at again in a union executive meeting, and of course I don't give away information to means because you can't; it's kind of confidential. But but I can I can say certain things, and I think I can say was we were there and we were told again, as you said, so it is fact what you're saying. Um, it was said that this report or this this circular, whatever they wanted to call it, is is imminent and it's coming. Um, never came, never came, um, and I think it was due to a, a big opposition uh, from it, uh, for it, uh, for it. Um, and but again. I suppose I want to give people a flavour of the discussion at that meeting when when the ACI eventually came out and said, you know, that um, you know we don't approve filling in these these um, the, the individual yeah the individual education plans um, um, and you know um, that that was part of it uh, and. It, wa- it wasn't because, you know, I'm reading Sean O'Brien's autobiography at the moment and Sean says a lot of times in it, you don't know what's going on inside the camp and what's there. You're just reading what reports are saying. So it it seemed from reports, you know, the teachers were objecting to this and the, the, the autistic kids are going to be let down and, and all this kind of stuff. But actually, the, the, the vast majority of the conversation at that meeting was about the the autistic kids and it was brought up all the time about special classes and there not being enough special classes for autistic children that is the route that you should be looking at you should be funding uh, that kind of stuff and, and rather yeah. than just throwing it all on top of teachers and one of the big things for the in the the the, the i keep forgetting the the uh, ieps yeah. was that uh, our filling goes in and we said we're not to do that was because nobody's trained to do that and they wanted us to put something down on paper to say how I was going to uh, educate this child etc so and there was no training whatsoever uh, and uh, in how to do it and so what the, the union said was we won't be doing that or we shouldn't be doing that uh, until such time as teachers are trained and are given the proper training to do it uh, and then we we'll give to do it and given the time, like for and example, given the say, time, absolutely, I, yeah, yeah. Um, th- three autism classes. Uh, it's eighteen students, six in each. Now they're not grouped in sixes, just to cite how many teachers in SNA. Mm. And funding, and um, just not year on year. Mm. But um, so we do all of our students have IEPs. Now yeah. that said, I've never received any training. Um, but when I was first, it was kind of throwing st- stuff at the wall, to be honest, when we first started off yeah. and finding examples from other people and scrounging stuff. And then, but over the years, look, I've written a lot of them at this point. So, yeah. um, but you see, you but, work at, you also work in uh, artistic class in that, in that yes. environment constantly. And it's specific, there's a very big difference because number one, any of the new teachers coming into us, we have multiple staff who are very experienced with doing it, who mm. can show them how. Yeah. Um, as good as any, no disrespect meant to anyone who be delivering training, but we can deliver we can deliver that ourselves at this point. But we also have the time to do so. So for our um, students' IEPs, um, there's forms and stuff all of our SNAs fill out to contribute information. They spend more time with the students than the teachers do. Um, they know them better uh, than we do in, in various instances, different jobs. But they, you know, they, and aside from you should have it as much as many people with relevant information contributing as possible. So we will have meeting with, or I will have meeting uh, with SNA staff and we will go through each student and we will say what they think, you know, this is the kind of stuff that should, should be in there. Brilliant. I will then have a subsequent meeting with a group of four or five of our uh, teachers who draw up the individual IEPs because previously I'd be the one doing all of it. And number one, workload, but number two, 
you don't want to, not that I'm some great shakes or anything, but you don't want any system overly reliant on one person. The system has to be independent of any person. So I win the lot and jog off in the morning. There's two or three people who walk into my job and they'll be doing it better than I was in a couple of weeks' time. Um, but I collectively, myself and the other teachers in Bath, collectively sit down and we all go through each all the information we've got from the SNAs, from the students themselves, mm. and from all of our all of ourselves. And we are give, we have the time to do this. Time mm. set aside specifically for this. Then drafts go home to our parents and their uh, and their children, obviously. And they sit down and they go, they're basically go get a red pen, add things, cross things out, that kind of stuff. Go through the whole thing. They feed back to us. Now, again, that's kind of how we do it at the moment. Obviously, meetings work better, but COVID is kind of in the way. Um, and then we have draft IP, uh, or then we have the formal IP. Now, those things are working documents. They can change over time. And they get redone at the start of the year. They get re uh, basically just before, uh, before and after each midterm. And they get done. But like I said, we have the experience to be doing it. Our newer staff have the training to be doing because we have staff who've been there long enough and been doing it long enough to tra to train them. We specifically have the time to do so, mm. and we are working. I am not a mainstream teacher, so much as I prepare lessons and all that kind of stuff, I'm not having to prepare those guys. So I specifically have the time to do all of this. Mm. If it's ro rolled out more broadly, and as I would have been part of a working group from as I am or headed by as I am in relation to uh, rewording. Uh, redrafting or updating of the Epson Act recently, and this conversation came up there quite a bit. And there was a number of teachers and principals and different people on this. No one was objecting to doing it. It's like, absolutely, of course we should. You need training and you need time to do it. And again, that turns into a funding. And like every, most of the things, uh, especially the negative connotations that we come back to, it, it comes back to money. It comes back uh, when talking about Brunswick. New Brunswick means abolishing all the special classes. Yeah. Every single one of them. How much money would that save? Yes. Um, it means for, there, there is a separate um, motivation, in my opinion, in relation to that. It's that it, it would be seen as a certain interpretation of the UNCRPD that um, basically Ireland, would, Ireland, those senior, would get a pat in the head for abiding by that. Now, that would be from those who see special classes as segregated education. Set foot in my class, and I'll show them other ways. Sorry, yeah. that's and that's not that I again. We're some actually our school. We are some bloody great shakes, but it isn't yeah. not me personally, um, and plenty of other examples of best practice as well. That's not to say there aren't examples of not best practice. There are, but even within the constraints of the current system and the problems, it can best practice example of inclusive special edu education be done. Hell yes. Yeah, there's there's absolutely. I think as well, there's no more than the rest of Irish bloody society. There's there seems to be hang ups about the past, and we did have awful institutions and awful places. And the, the fact that some of the language says, you know, ASD units and blah and all this kind of stuff, yeah. it, it kind of just rings in people's mind that you know that these you know this full inclusive model is the best and so on. When the reality is. Inclusion, absolutely, 100%. Uh, I actually, when I was in school, I had um, um, a group of kids. I wanted to have a group of kids uh, come up um, uh, from a, um, I call it a special school, but it's a school that had full, yeah. you know, um, yeah. full, there was a lot of Down syndrome children in there and so on. And I wanted them to come up as part of a transition year thing. Now I'm going back a good while ago uh, and come into the school and, at lunchtime and you know showing around and have a bit of crack yeah. a bit of ball in the yard or whatever and some of the parents didn't want it it's just weird it's 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 a very very weird you know uh, that we have i don't know ireland just seems to be a, a weird place but the point is so absolutely i'm for inclusion 
But of course, you have to. And in the best interest. In the best interest. And the best interest is in a classroom where they can be taught by specialist teachers, have a lot of SNAs and and a big shout out to the SNAs and they need to be paid properly and all the rest of it because we had a podcast with them on last season and it was it was fantastic and I'm getting them back in in a couple of weeks to see what the update is. But look, uh, teachers are a lot more of, uh, can be a lot more appraisable in certain instances than SNAs. They're doing absolutely Trojan work. And they're not recognised enough for it. No, and they're not paid enough for it. And that's exactly. another issue. And, and again, what's that down to? Conditions. What's that down to money? Uh, so <laughs> it, 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 it is. Uh, so look, um, I think that's it. I, I think we've had a good chat. Um, unless there's anything. Actually, I do actually. Want to ask, is it possible? Just, because I know I've been done a fair bit of giving out. Can I outline just an average day for some of my students? Absolutely. Go ahead. Now, there is no one single model, obviously, because yeah, all my students are individuals and all that. No one has the yeah. same time scale or same daily experience. But let's say um, secondary school, um, let's say today, all right? yeah. Tuesday, uh, regular day, school start, classes start at 10 to 9, uh, classes finish at 20 to 4, 40 minute classes and a 40 minute lunch. And there's a 10 minute break there. Um, all of us are, uh, as we call it, homeroom, because again, we're not calling it a special class and just autism class. Just to, Basically, the idea being the rationale behind it is that it's as close to home as you can get inside the school. Still a school, but it you know, other than COVID, there's comfy you know because we can't have non cleanable materials, but there would be comfy couches dotted all over the place and bean bags and obviously a sensory room and there's a kitchen which we're not allowed to use, but you know there's a sensory garden, big marquee tent and all those kind of things. But um, that's man from half seven uh, from half eight on. So um, our students, majority of whom would get a taxi, um, usually together. Some live locally, then might walk and stuff like that. And um, coming so between half eight and ten to nine, they come into the class. It's saying hi to everybody, and it's getting your books and stuff like that. And some students would need support in that, some don't. That's fine. It's usually in that instance, uh, anyone has an issue or there's something happened, or occasionally I would have had communication and email from parents going, our phone call, and um, you know, so and so fell out with their had an argument with their sister the night before, or anything like that. And um, just so we're aware, someone might not be in the best form or might need to come out of class and stuff like that. And um, then obviously you have bell goes, people go to class. For the majority of my students um, currently, now again, this is just a current cohort, six years time, it'll be a completely different 18 students. I could be saying the exact opposite. But currently our students will quite, have quite high mainstream inclusion. So you'd be talking anything from 60 to 80% mainstream classes that they'd be in. And um, again, that can increase or decrease over time as you progress if it changes it usually tends to go down slightly sometimes more than slightly that is down to um, students needs and to be very clear that is a parental decision we make suggestions always a parental decision so our students go off to class um, some go off to mainstream class on their own some will go off to class with an SNA with them and sometimes they go off to class there'll be a t- uh, an extra teacher from our special uh, autism classes there um, team teaching now that will depend um, so, for example, today now I was inside a woodwork class. I am not a woodwork teacher. I've done first year to sixth year twice. So if I can't stay ahead of some, someone, there's something going on. <laughs> but um, I'm inside in that class and I'm specifically there today now uh, to support one student. Um, but that student doesn't need 40 minutes of me hovering or sitting next. I'm not. Uh, again, I would think one or two of my students at times you need to sit next to, to just that's the support they need for a variety of different reasons. Vast majority, absolutely do not. I'm floating around the class. COVID obviously constrains that somewhat. But in that class, I spent maybe 10 of the 40 minutes helping that student. I spent the other half an hour helping everybody else. 
on the direction of the mainstream teacher. Um, and if they want, again, for colleagues, this one, we, we work together, but as I view it, when I go in there, that's your class I'm coming into and I will team teach up to whatever level of support you want me to. Yeah. Um, any of the students who are not inside mainstream, they have what we call it, uh, other support. So mainstream, it could be a teacher in there. Um, it could be an SNA. Obviously the SNA's job is that, um, but I have five SNAs across five year groups, potentially in eight different classes up to our class groupings up to maybe 15 or 16 different mainstream subjects i can't split SNA in 16 ways but they're amazing but that's yeah again, again not enough of them yeah yeah um but the teaching hours in fairness everyone gets the support they need yeah. I, I will say that for, for the resources mm -hmm. we have our management are brilliant in fairness um are and just the, the resources there the SNA mm -hmm. are all the students do get the support they need mm -hmm. so variety level instrument like it, it could be potentially someone sitting next to it. it's usually someone floating around the class it also helps with kind of general acceptance kind of things there isn't anothering like oh graham is inside the class to help that kid oh, wait a second graham's helping me now yeah. graham's helping somebody else yeah. and yeah and that's like maybe the resources there to the student let's say as i view it that student and their support they own the hours i represent mm. but me supporting them when they don't need it is as limiting as me not supporting when they do need it mm. so if they can get the support they need and then other people can get benefit too, that's the ideal use of it without yeah. in any way diluting the support the student is actually enrolled in the class needs. But it also, um, it also breaks up the stigmatization and something that could come is, with someone sitting down. It, it, it plays that role as well. That you're actually helping other people. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's, yeah. That is part of the point of it, to be honest. Yeah. Um, it's only that it was one of those points only after we were doing it that I realized, wait a second, it also helps like this. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then so students will have what we call homeroom classes. And so that would be in our base classrooms. Now they can vary. That's a how long is a piece of string kind of thing. And um, they can be subject curricular support. They can be diagnostic things. So we can talk about social skills and we would have our student have key teachers in the school that kind of um, one important adult kind of thing. And so I would have a number of key students that I have at least one, one to one class with during the week. And we just, it's not an academic, we do fun stuff. Um, except to foster that relationship and I kind of steer if there's I'm aware of something going on I steer the conversations towards things and it's also just getting that student to know that look, they can trust me um, or the uh, same with my peers so that if and when something happens or something's not going well they hopefully and it, it takes a time to develop this relationship that they feel comfortable enough saying something saying it to me and hopefully I can help it most instances but I can't fix everything obviously and we can't as teachers fix everything our SNAs mm. but most things that come up in school we can at very at the very least talking to us you know problem shared is a problem have kind of thing but it's, generally we can do a bit more than that mm. um, and all our students would then have social outings as well at least one a week we go off do something fun because again when you're practicing social situations inside the situ with me and three of your peers and I'm pretending to be a bus driver or whatever I'm doing. And it's like, if you're fumbling your change, I'm not going to roar at you because yeah, I'm a teacher yeah. and I don't, yeah, it, well, I, I, you will never hear me raise my voice as I go, just thankfully it's not part of my job. I don't have to. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's not the same as being out in the rain with, uh, let's say, waiting customers behind you and an actual bus driver. Getting so you need to practice with <laughs> as well. And also, it's a, it's great crack. The yeah. Students and staff look forward to it. It's good. But, a lot of the students' participation has changed as well in relation to, they come out, of, um, obviously they all have an Irish exemption that translates to foreign language if you're looking for any like um, applications and stuff like that. Some choose to do Irish and um, French is what's offered in our own school or any other uh, language, but they don't have to. Mm. So that's usually with kind of the baseline of where our homeroom classes come from. And then we may or may not drop other subjects as we go along. For a lot of our students, if they drop additional subjects, 
it may be for sensory needs if it's a practical thing like something like metal work the noise can be an issue that kind of thing or different textures and classes but it's also as much not necessarily the student can't do the subject either um physically be in the room or actually able for the content it can be the combined workload of all the classes put together and mm. uh, it's just it's stressful a lot of our students would have masks on when they're inside in uh, mainstream class pretense and it can be tiring mm. very tiring are, are a variety of different reasons that different breaks are needed so there are sometimes where we drop a subject now it's probably the student's least favorite subject so if it's a subject option it's the one they were least likely to continue with that kind of thing and um, it's just so our home classes can be seen as a valve in the day that you don't have nine classes in a row mainstream 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 mainstream, mainstream. and sometimes in some students that's actually it's very, even, that's even hard in mainstream yeah. Yeah. Right, none of my students have that. Uh, to be honest, if you're at that level, uh, if if you're if that's in your best educational uh, needs, then you probably don't need the support we provide. But um, for those students, it's as much a break as anything else. So if you have what we'd say homeroom English with me, currently at least ten of those forty minutes, we're going to be outside with our masks off. Yeah. Uh, students don't have to wear masks because uh, they're in a special class. They all do. So fair, mm. fair play to them. Yes. Um, and play fair play to their parents for talking to them about all Absolutely, of that. Absolutely, yeah, very much so, very much so. But we will spend time outside of that 10 minutes. Yeah. If anyone's having an issue, there'll be at least 10 minutes of me just saying silly nonsense um, and just laughing and joking and messing. Mm. And then we may do 20 minutes of English. Mm. Um, or the students come back in, particular students, or I can't work at home for whatever reason, just homework is a huge thing. Right, we'll have set homework classes. And mm. we'll get, we might not get it all finished, but we'll put a big dent in it so that when mm. you go home, all that stress and worry, potentially however long your taxi driver is going home that oh my god i've got to complete this thing yeah, yeah. well wait a second we've put a big chunk of it away um and basically now and we have just a massive degree of flexibility all of our students have a little blank green card they show it to any mainstream teacher they can leave class they don't have to explain they have to yeah. do anything they can just get up and walk out some of our students don't like using it for saying something or you know whatever but they have the physique they can leave anytime they want they will come back down to myself and whatever the issue is, is ground, I just had a run of classes or whatever day, it's too much, uh, you know, I just need to chill out. Like, sure, no problem. Now, we also have uh, teenagers, so I'm not going to say it's beyond for someone taking the make and make, yeah, I just don't like science, so I'm coming out of science all the time. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. we'll have to have those conversations as well. But generally speaking, as I said about all the students, it's the building block of all of this is our students are happy, to, as any teenager will be, they're happy to come into school. And they have staff there, all, like, half the students don't know my surname is Manny, it's Graham. And um, we're all on first name terms. Yeah. Where yeah, still their teachers and SNAs and stuff like that. We're as friendly as you can be within in the realms of professionalism, obviously. Um, and it's having a laugh, having a good crack. They know what well, even if we disagree, we're there to support them in whatever way we can. Yeah. It's um, can, it, I, I'm called Philo in school, so <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, I don't think I've been called sir for about 15 years and I'm teaching 20. But anyway. Yeah, Anyone calls me sir, I just keep walking. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I don't even, I don't even know who they're talking to. But yeah, anyway, um, it, it, look, listening to that and go back to what you were saying at the beginning of the conversation about a handful, you know, that m nearly all the students, or bar one maybe or two, um, reached the end of their education and did it successfully. And listening to the supports that provided them, there's no reason. There's no. There's no. There's no surprise uh, that they do because that support should be and them that, and their families, but the support is there. Well, absolutely, of course, yeah, yeah. But uh, but if that support wasn't there, I don't think them and their families, regardless of how hard they they pushed and tried, um, 
could have achieved it as well. You know, it's a kind of a collective thing. It's the families, it's the students themselves, and it's you guys in the school. Yeah. And 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 it's in just, an awful lot of respect. Yeah. And it's just it's just a a big shame that it's um that it's not in more schools uh, and that they're looking they're looking at this going to your local you should be going to your local school the same as everybody else yes maybe you might have to go past one two schools max and even that should be rare mm. no one should be going past a dozen schools and i can list off students who i know personally who are doing just that and those schools saying either the school saying they won't set them up for and um, there are very 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 few valid reasons to refuse mm. to set up um, any type of special class um, basically look if you haven't got the space now plenty of schools claim that and it isn't true um, and there's an easy solution to it uh, if you don't have the demand in which case I want to know what's in the water in that place because autism is everywhere so the demand is everywhere and again to be very clear just because you're autistic doesn't mean you need the support of a special class of course. Um, there, that demand is just there Um are in fairness the only space is a valid excuse it's just an awful lot of the times they're claimed sorry i don't believe them um because i know in certain what, claims what about, the ex- what about the excuse Graham, that i heard that um if it's not attached to the actual building so you can't let's say have special classes i won't say well let's say prefabs or let's say oh, another another building that's not part of the mainstream building but is on the school grounds yeah. uh, can they take place in those classrooms or no to be very, can they? Yes. Should they? No. Is there yeah. an easy solution to that? Of course. Well, there is. Move the other, move the mainstream classes out to those exactly. buildings and keep yeah, the yeah. Move the yeah. principal, yeah. move the principal's office out there. Move <laughs> people's offices out there. I'm not messing. The yeah. Literal yeah. last. Yes. Route, the last place. The only excuse for any special class anywhere being in a prefab is if the whole school is prefabs. Yeah, yeah. That is the only excuse. They should yeah. be the last people in a prefab 100 uh, uh, yeah. so space can be an excuse i'm not saying it's not or not an excuse can be a valid reason i'm not saying it. i just i know for a fact that certain claims of that have been done falsely um the only valid one i would see is a certain preponderance of special classes already mm. so if you're in a school and you've got four special classes and you have 300 students mm. and there are five six schools let's say it's an urban five, six schools within a few miles of you, and none of them have special classes, then you're already catering for your local population and plenty beyond it. Those other schools are the places that should be shut up special classes. So that's mm. the only, that and valid space uh, claims are the only reasons. And the simple solution around that, Norma Foley in, the, in Acts, Section 37A compels schools, primary and secondary, nationwide, precedes all of those letters that get sent out by space assessments. So any school that can't turn around and say they haven't, because obviously you wouldn't send a letter to a school that can, and there are people in the department who it is their job to go out and assess space in school. As a head of population, square footage, and number of rooms, all that kind of, and they, a formula they put into it, they'd speak to it better than I, but it, mm. yeah, that is a job. You proceed it by space assessment, send them out, then schools haven't got grounds to say no, unless they turn around, wait a second, we've got half a dozen special classes already, what about X, Y, all those schools who aren't, fair mm-hmm. enough. Beyond that, that is the only reason they should have any be able to say no. This is the kind of thing that should have been done 18 months in advance, you can't do that now, but they could send out those letters tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Based on NCSE stats, they won't do it, very clear, but they could, and say, right, next September, all of you are setting one up. This is what I, and sorry enough, Anyone said, turns around and said no, other than for valid reasons, publish the feckin', stick them on the list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
here are the schools that are saying no uh, without valid reason then no child doesn't have a special class place they need next September. And, that, that, and on the other side of that, there are a host of other issues that we can then move on to fixing. Mm. But best practice can be provided now. Mm. It can be approved. I, I can talk all day about how it can be approved, but it can be best practice can be provided now. I know because I'm working at a school that's doing it and there are plenty of other schools doing it as well. So it's, again, not just us or anything like that. So best practice can be provided now. You can tell all these schools, you would have to do that once, maybe two years in a row. Once school knows they're going to be compelled, mm. they will not turn around and say no anymore. You also get rid of that stupid, bloody private school nonsense. Mm. Graham, I don't think I it can be—I I don't think it can be any clearer than that. Um, yeah. I actually can't believe that I was uh, before this podcast. It's the first one-on-one -on -one that we, I've done on the podcast, by the way. Um, most oh, of them, most I'm of them honored. is most most of them is four or five is talking and trashing out ideas, and I thought like. <clears throat> How are we going to fill a half an hour, maybe? But we're, we're here the same length as every other podcast, and it's been really, really, really interesting. Um, and Ooh, definitely, definitely getting you back on here. Um, oh, talking, we, we, we will be talking again about New Brunswick model and, and all the rest of it. So, you can be our resident special uh, ed uh, uh, teacher happy when it comes on. Happy to contribute, <laughs> absolutely. I'd be looking for someone to disagree with me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we, you know, and people said that in, about the podcast. They said, you know, it's everyone just agreeing with each other. But I, I'm going to say it again now because people have listened to the hour and a half of this. Anybody who wants to come on and give another side uh, to anything that said, oh, you're more than welcome. I'm not going to tell anybody you can't come on the podcast. If it leads to a debate, even better. And, and, and we can trash out ideas. So, look. Anyone afraid to have their own positions and ideas tested? Yeah. Well, that just shows the weakness of those positions. Of and course. Ideas. And we can still have a point afterwards, even though we, we kill each other on the podcast, you know, but it's, <laughs> that's the way it is. But listen, Graham, it's been great. Thank you very much for coming along. Uh, and uh, Not about Andrew. thank you. Pleasure.